0: So as I start off this morning, I want to introduce you to a man by the name of Frank W. Sear. Now you may not know that name, but you will know the impact that he's had on this world. Mr. Sear was born in 1900, and in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, he was an educator. He was a writer, and he was one of our nation's experts on rural education, and He specialized his studies in how to educate children in remote areas. His recommendation, pick them up in buses and bring them to school, right? And so in his career, he helped to standardize both the operation of school buses, but also that distinctive color that we all know as soon as we see it. And kids, what's the color of the school bus? Yellow, Yellow, that's right. And in fact, that, that color is actually officially known as school bus yellow. Now, think about that for a moment. We are so familiar with the appearance of school buses because we see them so often that, that we don't have to be told when we see them that, that it's a school bus. We, we just recognize it when we see them coming. So we're in a series right now walking through the book of Nehemiah titled restore, rebuild, revive. And as we're walking through this series, I have I've been reminding you each week, right that that we are hungering for revival. We long for revival or, or I've been inviting you to hunger for and to long for revival with us here at at First Baptist Stockdale. Now the school bus is something that we recognize because we we see it so often. But I have to wonder if we truly began to see revival occurring, would we recognize it? If we began to to see the beginning works of revival in our own hearts and our own lives, would we recognize that work. And so I've been giving you our working definition of revival each and every week because I want it to stick with you, but also because I want you to familiarize yourself with some of these distinctive marks of revival so that when we see it coming, we will recognize it. So revival is when when God wakes up believers, igniting within them a desire for both his presence and his holiness in In their lives it brings both believers and non-believers to repentance resulting in true worship and the faithful sharing of christ with others so i want you to hear some of those distinctive marks this morning with revival it's not simply that we desire a presence of more people in our church we desire god's presence here in our church with revival it's not just that we desire more happiness in our lives we desire a greater level of holiness in our lives. With revival, we also begin to see an unnatural level of repentance occurring among believers and non-believers alike. And when I say unnatural, I mean that, that we begin to see repentance occurring in such a way that it can only be explained by a movement of God's Spirit, by a movement of God's Spirit in our own hearts, in our church and in our community and beyond and then with revival we begin to see the gospel being shared faithfully i listened to an interview with one of my former professors from southwestern baptist theological seminary recently dr matt queen and he said something so simple yet yet so very profound he said those who spend time with jesus will spend time talking about Jesus. Let me say that again. Those who spend time with Jesus will spend time talking about Jesus. You see, when we hunger for more of his presence in our lives, we're going to chase after that. And how do we chase after his presence? By spending time with him, right? If I want more more of my wife's presence in my life, I'm going to spend more time with her. Now, she may not necessarily want that. She may want a break, right? But, but if I want more of her presence, I'm going to spend more time with her, right? If we want more of God's presence in our life, if we want more of Jesus's presence in our life, we're going to spend time with him. And I believe that the more time we spend with Jesus, it does something inside of us because you cannot spend time in the presence of a holy God and remain unchanged it's just impossible and so as we spend time with with Jesus as we spend time with God and he begins to conform us into his image as we begin to recognize this change that's happening in our lives we want to talk about that we want to tell others about this Jesus that's that's doing something so radical in our lives and so with revival we see that that we begin to faithfully share The gospel, we begin to faithfully share Jesus with others. So begin looking for for these distinctive marks of revival. Look for them in the community, look for them in the church, but most importantly, look for them in your own heart and in your own life. And as you look for these distinctive marks, continue to ask God to send revival. Continue to ask God to move in a way that only he can. And so let me just use this as a way to plug Sunday nights. Tonight at 5 p.m. we're going to be in this room and we're going to be praying for revival. We're going to be asking God to move in a way that only he can, asking him to seek and save the lost. And so come and join us tonight at 5 p.m. right here. Now as we continue in our series today, you can turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 10. Nehemiah chapter 10. We're going to look at verses thirty through 39 today. Nehemiah chapter 10, 30 through 39. Now, as you're turning there, I'm going to set this up for you, and I'm just going to warn you up front that this setup is going to be longer than normal. Now, don't worry. I'll still get you out on time, so you can go eat at Sylvia's or wherever, right? But but the setup is going to be longer than normal before we get to the actual text. Now, if you remember a, a couple of weeks ago, as we looked back at chapter 9, we saw that as the people heard and understood God's word, that they were brought to repentance and confession. They began to repent of their sins and to confess their sins. Now, certainly they were led by God to repent and confess, but I think it's important to note that God used actual human leaders in their lives to instruct them in this repentance and confession. And you can look back at, at chapter 9, verses four and five and see the list of those leaders, the the names of those leaders that that were instructing them to repent and confess. So let me pause right here and say, sometimes we must be led to repentance and confession. Sometimes we must be led to repentance and confession. Sometimes you must be led to repentance and confession. Sometimes I must be led to To repentance and confession sometimes we need a brother or sister in christ to come alongside of us with god's word and to point out the sin in our lives that we might come out of our sins and into that right relationship with god we see this practiced both in the old testament but we also see this practice in the new testament in first corinthians chapter 5 uh, members of the church are called to address sin among those who would call themselves believers, to address sin among those who are part of the church, and to address it in such a way that repentance would be the outcome. So sometimes we must be led to repentance and confession. So let let me just give you a couple of instructions today. First, if you find that you are the one on the receiving end of the rebuke, Receive it with grace and allow it to draw you to repentance. Now, we've already talked about in the past about how receiving a rebuke is never fun, right? It's never easy. It is uncomfortable for us to be rebuked, to be called out. But if our desire is to be conformed into Christ's image, if our desire is to walk in holiness, if our desire is to see revival in our personal lives and and in our church and community then when we receive that rebuke, we don't need to resist it, but we need to receive it so that we may repent. Second, if you find that you are on the giving end of the rebuke, if you're the one having to give someone a rebuke because they are walking in sin, then let me give you this instruction. Do it with grace and with love. A wise woman once sang... Just a spoonful of sugar makes the kids, yeah, there you go. All right. It makes the medicine go down, right? Now, I say that jokingly, but but I think there is some truth in that. So there was this particular medicine that, that I had to take at, at times as a kid, an awful medicine. It was called isochlor. Anybody remember isoclore? All right. So I think it was just my parents giving me some terrible medicine, right? right, or telling me that it was medicine. So so it was this purple medicine, and it supposedly tasted like grape, but I thought it tasted like trash, right? And so anytime my parents had to give me this medicine, I would resist it because it tasted so badly, right? I think many times that is our natural response to a rebuke, right? When, when someone comes to rebuke us, the natural and, and immediate response is to resist it. And so if you are on the giving end of the rebuke, remember that the natural response is to resist it so that you will uh, be compelled to do it with love and with grace so that that rebuke might be received so that the outcome would be repentance. So sometimes we must be led to repentance and confession. Sometimes we just need someone to give us some next steps. In chapter 9, verse 5, we see that the leaders told told the people, Stand up. Blessed be the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. In giving that command to stand up, they were giving the people some next steps. So let me just give you some next steps today. If you're here today and you would say that you are currently living in unresolved sin, you are walking in an in unrepentant sin, then your next step today... If you're a believer, your next step is to turn from that sin, to confess that sin to the Lord so that you can begin walking in that right relationship with God once again. That is your next step. Now, if you're if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, then your next step is to also turn from your sin, to also confess that to the Lord, but your next step is to allow Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. That is your next step today. Scripture is clear. We have all sinned, every single one of us, whether we're in this room, whether we're outside of this room, every single person in this world is guilty of sin. And apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope for us. There's no hope for salvation. There is no hope for our eternity. But the good news is, is that Jesus is our hope. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and three days later he rose again and if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead today you will be saved if you've never made that decision to make Jesus your Lord then that is your next step today now as we move to the end of chapter 9 after the people of Israel Heard god's word and after they understood god's word and after they were led to repentance and Confession we see that they entered into a covenant with god In chapter 9 verse 28 we read in view of all this. We are making a binding Agreement in view of all this. We are making a binding agreement now I use that word covenant and covenant is kind of a fancy word, but but we see a more simple definition in that scripture there A covenant is a binding agreement between two parties Now as we think about a biblical covenant that scripture gets uh, Or that definition gets updated just a bit to to a a covenant uh, A biblical covenant is a binding agreement between two parties with god being one of those parties a biblical covenant is is a a binding agreement between two parties with God being one of those parties. And salvation is a great example of a biblical covenant. It is an agreement between God and man. It is a binding agreement that God is not going to hold your sins against you. It is a binding agreement that God is not going to hold my sins against me because he has already held them against Jesus on the cross and so we enter into this binding agreement with god when we give our lives to the lord in fact when when jesus was preparing his disciples for his death he he passed the cup he passed the bread and and when he passed the cup he said this cup is a new covenant in my blood right this is a binding agreement it's a new covenant in my blood which has been poured out for you, So here we see the people of Israel enter into a binding agreement, a covenant with God, not simply between themselves, but they entered into this binding agreement between themselves and, and God. They established this covenant. as they heard and understood God's word, and as they repented of their sins, and as they established this covenant, they did it because they wanted to make sure that they that that going forward, they were going to take their walks with the Lord seriously. So let me pause right here and ask you this. Are you taking your walk with the Lord seriously? Do you view your relationship with Christ as something that is casual, or is it a binding agreement? And maybe the, the better question to ask is, what do your actions rebe- reveal about how you view your relationship with Christ. Do your actions reveal that you see your relationship with Christ as just a casual relationship or a binding agreement? So are you taking your relationship with the Lord seriously? Understand, when we enter into this covenant of salvation with Christ, it isn't just a binding agreement for Christ to save us, but it is also an agreement on our part to submit to Him as our Lord. That confession, Jesus is Lord, is more than simply a recognition that Jesus is God. It is a recognition that Jesus is Lord over me, that Jesus is my Lord, that he is Lord over my life. So are you taking your relationship with the Lord seriously? The Israelites, they wanted to take their relationship with God seriously, and so they entered into this binding agreement and and we're told that they wrote it in a document and, and they sealed it. And then we're we're told at the beginning of chapter ten, all of the list of names of the people that signed this agreement. We see the Levites, we see the heads of the people, and then we see all of the rest of the people. You see this this covenant, this agreement to holiness, was not just something for the Levites. It wasn't just something for the leaders it was something for everyone it was an agreement for everyone to enter into and and so all of the people entered into this agreement into this covenant so i want you to hear this today god's desire is still to enter into a covenant with everyone god's desire is still to enter into a covenant with everyone God's desire isn't simply to enter into the covenant of salvation with you or your family. And it's not just uh, his desire to enter into that covenant of salvation with me and my family. God's desire is to enter into this covenant with all the rest of the people. All people need to be saved. All people need to enter into this covenant. And so this is why Jesus came into the world. This is why he went to the cross and died, so that through him, we might all have the opportunity to enter into this covenant. We might all have this opportunity to be saved. So now that we've seen them enter into this covenant, into this binding agreement with God, let's now look at the specifics in Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 30 through 39. It says, we will not give our daughters in marriage to the surrounding peoples and will not take their daughters as wives for our sons when the surrounding peoples bring merchandise or any kind of grain to sell on the sabbath day we will not buy from them on the sabbath or a holy day we will also leave the land uncultivated in the seventh year and will cancel every debt we will impose the following commands on ourselves to give an eighth of an ounce of silver yearly for the service of the house of our God, the bread displayed before the Lord, the daily grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbath and new moon offerings, the appointed festivals, the holy things, the sin offerings to atone for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We have cast lots among the priests, Levites, and people for the donation of wood by our ancestral families at the appointed times each year. There to bring the wood to, the, to our God's house to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We will bring the firstfruits of our land and of every fruit tree to the Lord's house year by year. We will also bring the firstborn of our sons and our livestock as prescribed by the law and will bring the firstborn of our herds and flocks to the house of our God, to the priests who serve in our God's house. We will bring a loaf from our first batch of dough to the priests at the storerooms of the house of our God. We will also bring the first fruits of our grain offerings, of every fruit tree, and of the new wine and fresh oil. A tenth of our land's produce belongs to the Levites, for the Levites are to collect the one-tenth offering in all our agricultural towns. A priest from Aaron's descendants is to accompany the Levites when they collect the tenth, And the Levites are to take a tenth of this offering to the storerooms of the treasury in the house of our God. For the Israelites and the Levites are to bring the contributions of grain, new wine, and fresh oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are kept and where the priests who minister are along with the gatekeepers and singers. We will not neglect the house of our God." So as we look at this passage together today, there's another distinctive mark of revival that we see, and that is the mark of faithfulness. As they make this this covenant with God, it is a vow of faithfulness. Now, it's important to, to understand that this was their binding agreement with God at that time. Right. This is not a binding ag- agreement. The specifics of this vow are not a binding agreement that, that you and I have entered into with God. However, the basis for this covenant, the basis for this binding agreement was to walk in faithfulness to, to God and to the commands that he had established from the very beginning, commands that, that we see even extended into the New Testament. So I want to just break... Uh, break these specifics into two general areas where we see that they are committing to be faithful in their walks with the Lord, areas where we are called to walk in faithfulness today. First, we see a commitment to be faithful in relationships. We see this commitment to be faithful in relationships. In verse 30, we see the commitment that they're not going to give their their daughters in marriage to the surrounding peoples, and they're not gonna receive the daughters from the surrounding peoples to 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 be wives for their sons. Now if you remember at the beginning of chapter nine, they had intentionally separated themselves from the foreigners, right? They the Israelites had a history of both intermingling and intermarrying with with those that were outside of their faith. And, and they had a history of through these unions, even worshiping false gods or idols. And so the people of Israel, they were the people that God had established a covenant with through Abraham, but but through all of the intermingling, through all of the intermarrying, for all intents and purposes, their walks with Christ or their walks with God had been watered down. And so as they separated themselves from all of the foreigners, they're now making this vow that they're not going to let future generations go down the same path. They're not going to let future generations make the same mistakes that they had made. They were going to begin taking their relationships with others seriously so that they could begin taking their relationship with God seriously. And of course, the most important relationship that, that we should take seriously in this life, apart from our relationship with God, the most important relationship is who we marry. Understand, who you marry matters and who your children marry matters. Now, this was specifically written as a vow from the parents because in that culture, the parents were responsible for choosing the spouse for their children but but we don't see that in our american culture today so let me say this teach your children to marry a christ follower teach your children to marry a christ follower my dad always told told me even from a young age he would always tell me find your wife at church find your wife at church and, and so he, he said, if you find your wife at church, the chances are much better that your faith is going to be aligned with one another and, and that y'all are going to believe the same thing about Christ. So meet your wife at church. Well, that little instruction stuck with me because when I was 20 years old, I was going to the, the First Baptist Church of Jinx, Oklahoma, and I met a girl named Sarah Baldridge. And I thought, well, she's the one, you know. Maybe it was not quite that quick, but but we began dating, and, and that dating quickly led to marriage and uh, and, and it was true our, our faith did align with one another, and, and not only that, but we also had a very similar upbringing. Her dad also was a pastor in the early years of her life, and so we saw we, we found this alignment because I, I married someone that was of like faith. So teach your children to marry a Christ follower. And if you're at the marrying age, and you're looking for someone to marry, look for someone that's going uh, to that, lead you in your relationship with Christ, that's going to strengthen you in your walk with Christ. Be faithful to God in who you choose to marry. Now, you might ask the question, what if I've already married someone that is not a believer? What if I've already married someone that's not strengthening me in my walk with Christ, that's not leading me in my walk with Christ? To you, I would say, stay married. Remain faithful to the Lord by remaining faithful to your spouse. Live out your faithfulness to the Lord by by remaining faithful to your spouse and pray that one day your spouse might come out of their sins, that they might also enter into this relationship with God. And if you find yourself in that place today, understand God is big enough, right? You may think it's impossible. My spouse has never believed in Christ, never going to. Listen, God is big enough. Don't stop asking him. Don't stop interceding on behalf of your spouse if you are married to an unbeliever. And so we see this commitment to be faithful in relationships. Second, we see a commitment to be faithful to the kingdom. First, we see this in their vow to do business or to not do business with, with the foreigners or with the surrounding peoples on the Sabbath day or, or any holy day. Now, now, this was already part of The law, but this is something that they had been breaking because uh, simple math, you can do more business in seven days than you can in six days. It was more profitable for them to work all week long than to take that seventh day off. But here they are saying, look, we are going to value the kingdom over our business. We're going to place more value on, on the kingdom of God than what we are placing on our own kingdom, the kingdom of our business. And so we begin to see them through this, this covenant to prioritize God's kingdom over their own kingdom. And then in verses 32 through 39, we see a lot of talk about giving, giving first fruits, giving an eighth, giving a tenth. We, we see all of this talk about giving. And understand, this is something that God has, had established from the very beginning, we know that because when we look at Cain and Abel, Abel gave uh, his first fruits, and Cain gave some, and God was pleased with Abel's gifts. And so this was not something new that was being established. This is something that, that already existed, but here the Israelites are reestablishing their commitment to be faithful in their giving, to be faithful to the kingdom through their giving now as we think about giving to the lord i want you to understand a simple truth god does not need our stuff but he desires our surrender let me say that again god does not need our stuff but he desires our surrender and let's be honest many times our money and our stuff can overshadow uh can overshadow our walk with the Lord. And so what we find is that we begin to compromise here and we begin to compromise there for the sake of our own personal gain. And maybe even at times we withhold our tithes or we withhold our offerings because we find it difficult to part with our stuff, to part with our finances. So it's not that God needs our stuff, but he desires our surrender. And so, so often God uses this requirement of giving to produce this surrender in our lives. Because here's what happens when we give our first fruits to God, when we give our our tithe to the Lord, we are saying, I surrender to you, Lord, and I trust you to take care of me. Listen, as the Israelites were giving their first fruits, right? This is the first fruits of their crops. And so there is no guarantee. After you give the first fruits, there's no guarantee that that the rest of the crop is going to be any good. But here they are giving the best, giving the first fruits to the Lord, and they are having to say, I surrender to you, Lord, and I trust that you're going to take care of me. And that is the same thing that happens in our lives today when we give to the Lord. When we give, maybe we look at our finances and we say, I I don't know how this is all going to work. But when we give to the Lord, we are saying, God, I surrender to you and I trust that you are going to take care of me. And so God often uses giving as a way to bring about surrender in our lives. It's not that he needs our stuff, but he desires our surrender. And so maybe you're here today and you simply need to reestablish a commitment to something God has already called us to do. Maybe you need to reestablish a commitment to giving faithfully so that you can surrender to the Lord, so that you can prioritize God's kingdom over your own kingdom. It's not that He needs our stuff, but He desires our surrender. Now, maybe you're here today and you would say you've never given your life to Christ. Then the surrender that you need to do today is it's not of, of giving finances the surrender from you is to surrender your life to give your life to the lord and if you've never made that decision today to make jesus the lord of your life then i want to give you the opportunity to do that and so in just a moment we're going to sing one final song and as we sing this final song this is going to be your opportunity to respond this morning and if that's you today if you're here today and you would say you've never given your life to jesus you've never made him the lord of your life but today you recognize the sin that's in your life and as you you've heard that jesus has died and and he rose again you believe that he did that for you and today you are ready to to make that simple confession jesus you are lord if that's you then as we sing this last song i'm going to be down front and I would invite you step out of your seat Join me down here. The aisle is now clear Join me down here. Let's talk. Let's pray today can be the day of your salvation Now, maybe you're here today and you would say you are a believer You've given your life to christ But maybe there's areas in your life that you need to to re a commitment to god reestablish a Faithfulness to god. Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe it's in giving. Maybe you just need to take your relationship with the lord Seriously as a binding agreement. Listen, you can deal with god right where you're at in your seat today But if you need someone to pray with you, you can come and join me down front I'd love to talk with you and pray with you And maybe you're here today and you would say you've given your life to christ, but you've never taken that step of public confession you've never You've never publicly professed Jesus as Lord through baptism. This is something that God calls all believers to do. It is the first step of obedience as a believer. And many times I've seen that, that people are struggling to walk in obedience to the Lord because they've not taken that first step of obedience by publicly professing him as Lord through baptism. And so if you've never made that decision, then I would invite you. Come. Let's talk. Let's pray. Today we can commit for you to be baptized together. Now, maybe you're here today and you would say you've given your life to Christ, you've been baptized, and you've been visiting First Baptist Stockdale, and you know that God is calling you to make this your church home, to come and connect your life with with ours here, to begin praying for revival with us and to join us on our mission here at First Baptist Stockdale to love, to grow, and to serve, and to go. If that's you, if God's calling you to become a member here at First Baptist Stockdale, then I would invite you to respond as well. And if you're joining us online today and you need to respond, you can go to fbcstockdale.org respond. I'll receive that and I will follow up with you this week. Whatever decision you need to make today as we sing this song, I encourage you to respond obediently. Stand with me right now and let's pray together. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond, and I'd like to invite you to respond today. If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me, and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you, and have a great week.